Hello there, and welcome back to the huge-ass paddock pass. It's been a little while since we last spoke to you, but we have a lot of uh, information to get going with. I'm your host, Tom Edison. With me is Andrew Fawcett. That is me. And Alexander Cofford. Yo. How are we doing today, Japs? I am doing well. fantastic. That's good to I hear. I just put my parents on a plane, so they are officially gone. They are no longer in the same state as me, so... That's that's, Life is that's a plus. That's good. Calming, yes. That sounds that's, good, yeah. Family is good, but when they leave, it's even better sometimes. I concur. Um, so, um, shall we get on with the motorsport? Because it's been a while since we've been last speaking to uh, our friendly listeners, and we have four Formula One races to go over. Four of them, can you believe it? I can't. I can't. I love this time of year. Races are more frequent, and yeah, I love it. So, I'm going to start off. Last episode, <coughs> we were discussing the uh, the run into the end of the season. A lot of races coming up quickly together. And all of us sort of were analyzing the teams and how they were coming on stronger towards the end of the season. And we came up with a prediction um, about which team would be strongest over the last five races of the season. Um, I don't, I don't I believe, remember that. I, I think you do, <laughs> Andrew. Um, no, that doesn't sound familiar. Because uh, Alex and I, we, uh, I think we were split between Merck and Ferrari as to which one would be stronger. I can't actually remember which who uh, each one of us went for. Um, I went with Merck because I didn't trust Ferrari's strategy and I didn't trust that the Ferraris wouldn't wreck each other. And <laughs> as Spoiler we'll alert. Personal words. <laughs> um, so I went with Ferrari. I thought the car was coming on a little bit stronger. Um, and Andrew, who did you go for again? I think it was the Williams or... Um, I don't think it, I think you went for Red Bull, didn't you? Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yep, I said Red um, Bull would win three more races. <laughs> <laughs> and how many races have they won? One. They've won one of the last four. Um, hey man, we got one race left. They could make it two. <laughs> Good, but um, as your friendly um, administrator, I have tabulated the points from the fi- from the four races that we've had, which is uh, Suzuka, Japan, Mexico, Austin, USA, and Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, does anyone want to hear the tallies of those three teams after those races? Of course. No, nah, it's okay. Um, we can just skip it. So, actually, I've got some good news, Fawcett. <laughs> oh, um, okay, good. Red Bull is second of the three teams. Yes. Let me guess, Ferrari's third? Ferrari is third. Ferrari has 70 points between the two drivers in those four races. Uh, Red Bull has 80 points. And then, just a smidge ahead with 131 points, is Mercedes. Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. Who so my, it? my spicy hot take wasn't that off. I mean, yes, uh, Mercedes ran away with it, but you know, if it was a toss-up between Ferrari and Mercedes, and then you know, Mercedes was or Ferrari was just a little bit worse than Red Bull, you know, I wasn't that off. Well, who'd have thought that uh, the most dominant team of the last five years would be the most dominant team in the remaining part of the season? Yeah, it was really mm. a difficult difficult call to yeah, make. Yeah, I went way out on a limb on that one. But I mean, coming into the race, uh, so let's go to Suzuka first of all. Um, now Suzuka, we thought Ferrari would kind of be in a place to make a challenge, I think. Engine mm, looks strong. No, I think that's the one that Mercedes has always been strong at, and we thought it would be an easy one too. At least that was my take on Suzuka, and then we thought that Ferrari would really come a strong at the other races. Well, we were wrong, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Merck dominated uh, Japan. Um, 
nice win there. Um, that race wasn't that exciting, though, from what I recalled. Um, uh, yeah, that's where Albon yeah. um, punted a McLaren, and then... Yep, and Max um, got taken out turn one. The only, like, yep. exciting thing I can remember from that race is the Ferrari, like, wing exploding on Lewis's car. Like That's down, right. That was exciting. Oh, yeah. That was about the that, most exciting thing I could think of. So I, I was kind of indifferent with the Halo at first. I wasn't... Some people hated it, and some people thought it was the worst thing on Earth. I didn't think it was that bad. Every time I see an incident like that or turn one at spa when the car mm -hmm. mounted alonzo's car i just think to myself there's already two or three incidents that one ping, uh, piece of carbon fiber or a car has already had a chance to decapitate someone yeah and we we don't know if it would have had any effect or maybe it wouldn't have but there's already three or four incidents that the halo could have done a great thing and it probably already has yeah i 100 percent agree um I still think it, it could, and I don't, other than a full windshield like um, IndyCar's doing, I'm not sure they can do much more for like smaller debris. Because I feel like the the parts that came mm -hmm. off Leclerc's car were, like there was a big chunk, but there was also like a lot of little debris. So I think sure. I think that's the only like remaining thing. But I guess at this point you're not really trying to to protect the driver from all that little stuff because that's why he's wearing a helmet but um right you can't catch it all and like the air the air wash over the car and the helmet will do a certain amount of protection over the little stuff but it's the large sort of blunt impact traumas that you're going to get from from cars flying over other cars from large pieces of bodywork. yeah um, i wasn't the biggest fan of the but, uh the halo but obviously i mean you learn to either ignore it or you just don't see it anymore you just kind of it's part of the car now you just you know, i used to think it was going to be impossible to ignore but it doesn't even it's kind of strange now when you see a car that doesn't have it like if you see like the cars the year before they got the halo it looks a little strange just because you're so used to seeing the cars with the halo yes you know? year one was kind of weird because it was almost like they just bolted on the halo it wasn't a design philosophy now it's a little bit smoother they look a little bit more natural so um, I think they look a lot better than the first year of the Halo. Yeah, I agree. The, te the teams have learned to integrate them more into the into the flow of the car, and it looks it looks better. So back to that incident. Yes. Ferrari had called in Leclerc, lap one with his contact with uh, Verstappen, yep. and he did not do it. Um, and that was, I mean, he got a penalty. Is that right? He got the yeah. He got the um, black and orange flag. Meatball. The meatball yeah. flag, which we see very rarely in Formula One nowadays, <laughs> it was quite exciting to see it um, displayed. Well, I mean, uh, the, he had so much damage to the front of his car. Like you're thinking to yourself, like, how is he still out there? But he's like, it feels fine. Don't worry about it. And you're like, ah. right. And the thing is with these with these modern F1 cars, the, the the width and the length of them is that the driver really can't see. He can't see much of his own car. So he yeah. he purely has to go up on the feel of the car, loaded up through a high-speed corner. And if he thinks it feels fine, then why sh would he want to give up track position, race position, and uh, a race advantage? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, like, these are racing drivers, this is the way they operate, and, you know, his team's telling him he has to come in, but to him, you know, I'm able to keep up with this guy. What's the big deal? Um, and, you know, you have to crash the team in that, res in that respect, because your front wing will explode otherwise. Boy, did it. That was... Uh beautiful shot yeah, those slow watching was it amazing. and stuff 
um, Lewis probably shit his pants right there. Just <laughs> all that debris just coming right at you. You're like, oh boy, this is not good. But it was, yeah. it was that, Japan was a good race. Like Mercs, yeah. Mercs were pretty dominant as as you know as they want to do in that sort of circuit with uh, high speed corners, aero yeah, mode. I feel like Japan is always a good race. I, just, I feel like that circuit just lends itself to it's a great circuit. You know, it's a who, who it was not a good race for. Renault, they got booted from that race. They did, they got disqualified post-race. They finished pretty well, like, I think they were, both cars were top ten? Both were in the points, for sure, because they lost points for it, so I don't definitely have the points. And that was for the automatic brake bias adjustment that was GPS um, activated, I believe. Right, so so it would change the brake bias depending upon the car's point on the circuit in the upcoming corner. Mm-hmm. Which and sounds a little illegal, frankly. <laughs> yeah, and who was the Renault driver? Who did Ricardo replace again? Uh, Science. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He came out and said that. Oh, they had that when I was driving with them too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stick the boot in, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. So he I, I think care. at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He's not going to go back. Um. You know, that's kind of just confirmation. There's no way they can get around it. Someone inside your own program that relies on that to drive is, yeah, yeah, that happened. Right. I and, mean, you know, it, it can't have been worth that much. It was just an interesting sort of technological loophole that I think they thought they'd found. Well, it just means um, the driver's doing less with the steering wheel. Yeah. Or, or, doing, or doing less, you know, balancing the car under braking because he's not adjusting the bias at all. Right. Um, I, I, either way, personally, it's a I, think it, I think it's crazy that they adjust the. I've seen like some onboards where they're like adjusting the brake bias, like corner to corner, which is frankly too much for my That's for my brain to understand. <laughs> I spend like thirty seconds in the car going now. Which way is which way is which? Now plus is forward, plus is back. No, mm. I'll adding, try it out. It'll be fine. I'm adding front. Oh no, I just locked the rears. That's not it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there wasn't a good race for them. Um, it wasn't a great race for Ferrari, um, for obvious reasons. And Red Bull, it was an awful race because Max was out turn one. And for once, my cause. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be benevolent here to Verstappen, completely blameless for that incident. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I I know that we've tended to rag on Max a little bit uh, for his driving, certainly last season. Um, he was certainly a bit of a liability in some circumstances, but I think he's been pretty damn good, especially the second half of this season. Like his racecraft, his racing, he's made almost zero mistakes. And I mean, he spun and won in Germany, so that was very impressive. I, I, I definitely agree. I think he's matured a lot. <laughs> and he got some flack for these last races, but in general, um, compared to how reckless he was when he was you know, a rookie and second year driver. Um, he's really kept that same aggression and just minimized a lot of his mistakes. So let's talk about mistakes. Uh, with segue to Mexico. Um, so Max was going to be on pole position. He had <laughs> the fastest lap in the first run of Q3. No one was going to beat him in the second run of Q3. And then there was a the yellow flag. And what happened? Uh, guns out. He just floored it. Didn't care that people were 
lift a wave in double yellows and <laughs> finished his lap and didn't lift even a micron. I think he said a purple sector right there. He definitely and, did. You know, the only thing that he didn't do is just stick the middle finger out at the steward while that happened. <laughs> that would have been like the trifecta right there. But uh, um, yeah, so unfortunately he did not get a pole. I think the best part of that whole thing was the interview afterwards where they were asking about it. And he was like, no, yeah, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. he didn't even, like, try to cover. He's like, no, yeah, I didn't lift. And we speak about maturity and uh, a way to purport yourself and deport yourself around the paddock. Maybe he has a little bit to learn in that respect, because that was a situation that could have been avoided, frankly. <laughs> well, he should have lifted in the first place, obviously. Yeah. But secondly, when the, when the when the press ask you, did you do it, you don't just go... Yeah, no, I didn't lift. You go, I, no. What? what lap are you talking about? I don't remember. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it. You know, like he didn't even like try right. to hide. Never check the telemetry. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, no. I love it. I love that he just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, I did it. But should that be the example being set to the world's public by yes. some of the? It should. Okay, why is yes, that? Yes, he should have a beer in one hand, a middle finger out in the <laughs> other one, while he says it. And absolutely, then he'd be my favorite driver. So young, you, you're harking young, back to the James Hunt, Keke Rosberg. <laughs> big balls. Big balls, long blonde hair <laughs> style of uh, of racing. Yep. Uh, absolutely. I think he's I setting th- a fantastic so, example for the young uh, Dutch potential race drivers out there. You know, just they look up to him and they say, oh, well, he doesn't lift for yellow flags. Why should I? <laughs> And it's it, it's a fine line, right, between making sure you still have individual characters within the sport. Um, certainly it would be boring if there were 21 Nico Rosbergs on the grid. Um, no, that would be very interesting. They'd spend all their time doing their hair. They wouldn't even get to the start. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I was I was not impressed with, with his um, attitude after that event. Like... It, it displays a certain amount of arrogance that I don't think he's earned yet as a driver. And hopefully he's learned from it a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously. It's entertaining, obviously. but It's, it, it's fun. It's, it's funny. It's funny and entertaining. But, it's not... but you know, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, like, yellow flags are not something to mess around with. I mean, obviously there have been serious incidents, um, like jewels, that happen under yellow flags that, you know... It's not something to mess around with. Obviously, the marshals are waving that flag for a reason. There's a car, you know, stopped. You shouldn't be setting purple sectors, but it's entertaining. But yeah, it's it's a bad attitude. So he wasn't on pole in the end. Uh, he lost his times from that session, and probably threw away a potential win. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. He was certainly um, fast. Mercedes has historically struggled at that track. Their large turbo doesn't spool up good enough at the high altitude. Mm -hmm. Um, And Honda's doing a pretty good job. They've historically done well there anyways, plus they're getting their um, engine together really well at this point of the year. And, yeah, I I feel like the Red Bull, if anything, is really good at race pace compared to something like the Ferrari that might be a one-trick pony, a one-lap pony. Yep. And and so for him to start on pole, I think he has a great chance of finishing that one in first place. I agree. The Red Bull works well around that circuit. I mean, it's the premium is on aerodynamic efficiency, and that's an Adrian Newey car, and that's what he does. Um, and as you say, the Honda engine has been 
really impressively improving this season. But for sure, and I'm so glad all the manufacturers is even even Renault has made improvements as well, and it's not close enough. All the teams are still we still have team A, then B, then C, then D, um, but it's getting closer, and I really like that. I agree. Um, it's good for the sport that these engine producers can close the gap a little bit on each other. And I think um, the engine producers closing the gap a little is good for 2021 um, because I think that the aerodynamic regs are a lot more uh, simplified. So, you know, if all the engines are similar performance or, or at least closer performance and the cars are more simple, there's less stuff that the teams can do that might close up the pack a lot more, which is obviously the desired effect. But do we want Formula One to be so homogenized? I realize that's opening a can of worms with that question. Um, no, but when you have a team that can win as frequently as Mercedes does, in continuing that, it's not like it's a one team that just ran away from everything. If you count the podiums from non-Red Bull, Mercedes, and uh, Ferrari from all the way back to like 2015 and i know williams was better back then right it's not very many and it's hard to go through all years where kafiat gets one podium gasly gets one podium and that's it yeah um that that's not good for the sport to have so many teams i mean realistically seven teams have zero chance of win at any race any time for the last five years it's true but uh, that's always been the way of Formula One. I'm going to be honest and put my uh, my Formula One historian's hat on here. If you go back to, let's even just go back the last uh, 30 years to 88 to 92. There were three teams that won in that. But that was like super dominance of Honda McLaren, right? And then that transitioned into Williams. McLaren... Ferrari and Williams won all those races. Uh, Honda, McLaren was dominant, maybe. Uh, Ferrari ran them close in 1990 with Prost. Um, but yeah, McLaren were dominant in the same way that Mercedes have been dominant in the last in the last few years. Um, I think a difference is, and I know you know Mercedes, or I mean McLaren won so many races that year, and, and Williams the years after. The reliability wasn't a guarantee. And nowadays, like, you can bet your paycheck on Mercedes finishing. Um, and back then, it wasn't that case. And so you could get random cars in a podium that don't deserve it, either a good drive or good strategy. Nowadays, it just doesn't happen. It can't happen. That's true. I, 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 will, I will give you that point for sure. Um, the winner was likely to be one of those three teams. Like, one, one of the six drivers from those three teams would win the race. But second and third were still up for grabs given mechanical issues, frailties, accidents, yeah. bigger field, yeah. fewer regs, etc. Um, that's true. There was more variability outside of the top, maybe one or two each race. I mean, so speaking I, yeah. of, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, irregardless of, of, irregardless, it doesn't. Regardless of whatever <laughs> the regulations are, there's always going to be like the good teams are always going to be at the top. Like it doesn't. Isn't like 2021 comes and Williams is like contending for a championship? That's what you think. Well, I mean, you might, I don't know. You never know. But 
what I'm saying is, you know, the it might close up the grid a little bit. Obviously, there's always going to be fast teams. That, you know, the, the Mercedes is obviously, you know, going to be at the top because they've been at the top and they know how to win and they know how to do things. And, you know, you're not going to see, like, surprise out of the back of the grid. But, um, you yeah, know, there will be a change. It might close up a little. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah but it they might will. close up there a little bit. There always has, like... You have, you have to go again back to history at this point. We've had periods of dominance in the last 20 years. We've had the Red Bull period of dominance. We've had the Ferrari period of dominance. A very, very brief Renault period of dominance. Um, and then before that, Williams and McLaren. Yeah. Like, there, are, there are always manufacturers that will get the regs right every time there's a, there's a change in the rules. And they'll yeah. just have a little bit of an advantage for the next two or three seasons. And it's been like that for like every other racing series Since. ever. Like, time memorial that's yeah. the way racing works and that's why it's, we love it yeah i mean it's the same thing with like nascar and stuff like you know what that's the team what's, what's nascar <laughs> it's a small <laughs> it's a small startup uh motorsport over here in the states <laughs> but you know what i mean like the like the fast teams in, in stock cars have always been the fast teams you know and then it changes every once in a while but like you know you'll have one team that just dominates and then it just changes so yeah Money buys speed. That's the thing. Unless you're Toyota. <laughs> well, to be to be fair, the Toyota uh, LMP team was very fast, just not reliable. But they didn't they didn't win many <laughs> races. <laughs> well, you know, when your car breaks down a lap before the 24 hours of Lamar oh. is finished, oh it's, dear. it's hard to win the race. That was heartbreaking on so many levels. <laughs> Oh, it makes me want to cry. But they, yeah, that, I mean, that's what Toyota do, though. <laughs> Historically, in every single series, through every single time. They came into Formula One, masses of money, huge new operation, hired the best people, hired Yano Trulli for some reason, um, and failed to win a race at all. But wait, 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 wait. They, I was going to say, they, they sold their stuff to Braun and, and they won a championship, so. Eh. To who? Ross Braun. No, they didn't. That was Honda. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, wrong. Oh, yeah. I was thinking that same thing. <laughs> wrong Japanese manufacturer. <laughs> anyway. That's racist. Regardless. Back, <laughs> back to they modern the F1. Same, they force it? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Oh, that's right. Toyota sold all their like CFD stuff to Ferrari. I do remember that. That's right. That's anyway, right. Um, it was a massive espionage issue. <laughs> back to modern yeah, F1. Back to, back to where um, were we? We were in Mexico. Um, this is where we were. Um, one of Lewis Hamilton's finest ever drives, in my opinion. Uh, prove me wrong. Nah, I don't disagree. Like, I know it's fun to rag on him for for whining about everything during the race on the radio, um, but credit where it's due, he drove that race absolutely perfectly judged. They took an aggressive strategy, put him on tires early, and he had to make them last an awful long time, and he did. And he'll make sure that you know that those tires are falling off. He'll tell you all about it, every single corner, every single lap. Guys, but I, I think can't. That, These I, tires are I think dead. that's how he operates, though. That must be how he operates mentally. Yeah, like, there are some people He's... that will tell you about every little thing that's going on while they're doing it, just because having that feedback 
of them saying something about them makes them able to cope with it. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I know, I know. if it was me, I would be like, guys, you realize the tires are dead. Like, I would be, like, talking to the pit wall and be like, the tires are dead. Is this supposed to be like this? Like, making sure that, you know, what I'm experiencing is accurate. And, I mean, I get it. I get it. But it is we, obnoxious. We do endurance racing in iRacing. And if, if I was, you know, helping one of you guys when you're driving and you complain that much, I would tell you to shut the hell up and, <laughs> and just drive I, I get that he here's the deal he's smart and he's very public when i say public you know he's he has a brand and he has he has a vested interest in making every single race as difficult as he can yeah <laughs> and that's true that's what i don't like about him is Ooh, he always makes it bigger than it should be in my opinion he always Every place has the best fan, and every single race is the best venue, and everything's better than the last one, and this win was better than the last one, and this was my best win. No, now this one's my best win. He always does it to build himself up in a public image, and that's what I don't like about him. I think he's a wholesome guy. Um, I've listened to him talk before. I think he's a smart guy. I, I like him as a person. I do not like him as a promotion of his own brand in that plus i hate the fact that mercedes is dominant when everyone else sucks it just rubs me the wrong way in a public brand setting that is true that's something i've never really thought about but it's definitely true like he'll win by you know 30 seconds or something and then they're interviewing after. It's like it was a very difficult race, you know. We, yeah, I know it looks like we won by a log, large margin, but you know we fought very hard and the team worked so hard. You know, he definitely nothing is easy. It's not like oh yeah, well we just drove away from the field and it was easy. Like it, and you know it's not true because lap five they're changing their engine mode to like twelve because <laughs> it's they don't need they're faster than everyone else and yeah he gets out of the car and he's. Oh, woe is me. I had to wrestle it to victory against the will of the gods. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a very I can, good point. I can, I can see that image not coming across well. Um, now, do, do you think that is just a cynical manipulation of the, of the image and of the brand to uh, to sell more t-shirts, to sell more caps? I, th- uh, I have it might no... Be. I think it's 100% he wants to be known as the greatest formula one driver ever and in his mind i feel it's subconscious that he has to work hard even if it's easy he has to make it hard because everyone else had it hard you know if you want to compare yourself to schumacher or center or whatever you can't say well i had the best car for you know seven of my world championships assuming he gets a seventh um and and so really all I'd do is beat my teammate and therefore it really wasn't that hard. He's never going to say that, and that's a gross overestimation of what's happening and happened in his career. And it doesn't give him enough credit. But at the same time, he he has his detractors have a lot of ammunition. He is the one that has to build that brand of I'm the best driver ever, and. He's done a pretty well job. I mean, a lot of people rank him top three, four, five, six, whatever, but he doesn't want that. He wants number one, and he has to change the public perception to make him number one. Interesting. Yeah. See, if I whoop the field and I win by 30 seconds, I want everyone to know that it was easy. Like, 
I want to get in their head, you know, like oh, well, one yeah, day, was, one day force it, that'll happen. You know, like oh, that was easy. You know, I just, I just put my foot to the floor and didn't lift. You know, it was, I don't know what these other guys are doing. <laughs> you know, I, that's the kind of mind games I'd play. Now, like oh, I tried so hard, and I can't believe I come away with a victory, trembling, and you know, whatever. I mean, what do you think, Tom? Do you think he's doing it for motivation outside of racing, or do you think that he subconsciously does think it's that hard? I, my personal feeling is that's the way that he has always motivated himself to perform. That he tells himself that he's up against it. And I think that's part of his background. Um, coming into a sport from not a lot of money, like, you know, middle, middle, lower class family in rural England, not rural, but provincial it's, England. It's the plucky Brit thing. It's the... It's not even the plucky Brit thing. Like, Jensen is not the plucky Brit thing. No. Like, And Lando certainly is not the plucky <laughs> Brit. Um, whereas Lewis, like, he didn't come from a lot of money. He came from a racial background that is not that common in motorsport, um, particularly in Britain. And he had to fight against that those two pressures from an early, early age. And he did. And I think the way that he fought and gave himself that drive that desire to continue was by telling himself over and over again all the odds are stacked against you you need to beat them and you're going to beat them by working harder by working longer by by toughing it out and that's the mentality he's brought to the biggest stage of motorsport is the mentality of everyone's against me this is always going to be hard and I'm going to have to fight that little bit more to succeed but none of that I, I agree with everything you said, but that doesn't explain the constant complaining about your car when you have the best car. I don't think he's... He's not complaining about the car. He He's complaining about the situation very specific to him and the race at that time. And that's how he motivates himself in that second, in that microsecond of that moment, is how he motivates himself to break that little bit later, to carry that little bit more speed to make that overtaking maneuver he's convincing himself that he's up against some sort of barrier some sort of impediment to his yeah. race i can see that i can definitely see that i know that i, I struggle that, i like, think that's psychological yeah no i know i definitely think that like i struggle like if i'm not racing against anyone directly i don't see anyone around me and i'm not chasing anyone you know if i'm in the front or whatever like it's definitely hard to keep yourself like motivated and going oh i gotta keep pushing as hard as I can, you know, it's easy to just go, well, you know, just cruise. So I can definitely see how complaining about the tires and, and, and kind of putting yourself up against it is a way of motivating yourself. I, th I, think it I just think he's a whiny drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, whiny drama queen or not, we went from Mexico to Austin and he won the sixth world championship drivers world championship of his career in his favorite um, country. At, in his favorite country, oh with his favorite hat on, um, with the best fans at the best track, best fans with the best stake, with the best everything's bigger and all of that bullshit. That's well, I'm going to call it. I mean that too. I mean that that drive for the championship was one of the ones where he was on tires for a long time, trying to make them last. Yeah. Like you know, and he didn't win the race. And he had he didn't win the race, but I think he was proud of his drive regardless. Oh, yeah. Now, winning the championship obviously didn't hurt that feeling <laughs> yeah. post-race. 
But again, he did what he needed to do. And more to the point, his rivals didn't do what they needed to do. So if we're going to talk about rivals for a second, um, Bodass has come out and said that he has a plan for next year. And he said that last year. Yeah, you answered my question. <laughs> um, do you feel that next year he can challenge no. Hamilton in any substantial way? I don't. No. No. Um, he's had time to do that already. Like, he's not going to learn anymore. Yeah, I, I don't no, disagree. I, I, I fully believe that he's in over his head. Um, I, I think he's a great driver. Don't get me no, wrong. No, I, I, I think he's think the perfect he's... number two driver for Mercedes. He is that's exactly. the, the role he has. I think that's I'm... the role he's going to have until he leaves Mercedes. I think unless Lewis completely bottles it and like somehow like screws up next year and, and doesn't finish races and uh, that's the only way I can see him really contending. I mean, unless he pulls something out of nowhere, but I mean, unless, there, unless he goes full, full Nico Rosberg, um, which I, I wouldn't yeah. wish on any man at all, frankly. But I, that, I mm-hmm. think that in that environment, you have to go full Nico Rosberg to win a championship. I mean, Nico, in that championship he won, he fought for everything. I mean, they were... Yeah, he was completely yeah. ruthless. He was complete asshole to everybody. Um, I loved it. But, but that's what he had to do to get there. I mean, I don't think he could have gotten there any other way. Right, and he had a bit of luck, but he stayed in the hunt, and yeah. he got it. And then he ran away, because he knew he couldn't do it again. I don't know, I I struggle with it. I kind of respect the going out on top thing, but I also kind of like, really? Just, that's it? Like, there haven't been many world champions that have retired after winning the world championship. Uh, Prost did, but he'd won four already at that point. You kind of have to respect that at that point. Yeah. Um... I think. Uh, no, because he came back with the Mercedes. He oh, did, well, I meant his first return. He did the Michael No, Jordan even thing. then, uh, Alonso beat him that, that year. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. I think Fangio I'll... retired at the top of his career in 57. That's it, really. And he'd won five at that point. Valtteri is exactly who Mercedes and Lewis need. It's like. That's, it's perfect. Yeah, it's like, perfect. He's, he's a good guy, he's quick. I don't don't think he's not quick. Don't don't think I'm saying he's not quick. No, like, he's definitely he's, quick. He's won races. He's, he's dominated. He's dominated. Lewis yeah, he's in been good. qualifying. When thing when things have hooked up for him, and like he's been very good at switching the tires on for one lap pace in qualifying this year, like he's as quick as anybody out there. But he doesn't have the consistency or the outright ability to challenge Lewis over the course of a season. In the same which game. benefits everyone, right? Bottas gets a gets some wins every year. He gets yeah. a great drive. He gets a lot of money. Hamilton gets to progress his career in the way that he wants. Mercedes is happy with the publicity of both of those situations. So Absolutely, they're going to win the Constructors' Championship, win. you know, every single time. Um, and it's it's the perfect scenario for everybody involved. Now, Valtteri makes the right noises in the press about how he's got a plan for next year and how he's going to come out fighting, coming out harder, stronger, faster. Maybe I mean, he'll win. I guarantee he'll win one of the first three races. I mean, I would love he to win see Valtteri win a world championship. Like, that would be amazing, but I don't think it's going to happen. It would be great, I don't but it's think not going to so happen. Either. Especially I, with all this young talent that's coming in. Yeah, Charles and Max will win, a, will win a world championship before Valtteri does. If at all. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, so, let's move on to Brazil. 
Right, so um, speaking Brazil? of teammates, <laughs> uh, Ferrari, what a f uh, bad word. Shambles that was. Jesus. Yep. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It... So, what happened? It was a great race, first of all. Like, it was, it was a good it, race. It, was interesting. it took a little bit to get going. Like There was some action in the early stages, then it settled down. A couple and of then starts, a couple, yeah, cu very a couple of incidents, and everything went haywire. It was fantastic. I well, the funny thing is, I didn't watch the race, and then I I was looking at the results afterwards, and I was like, <laughs> totally confused. What happened here? I was like, there's a McLaren on the podium. Gasly finished second. Like, what? What happened? Both like, Ferraris was, went out of the same lap. Yeah, that was, can't have happened. It was like two DNFs from Ferrari. I was like, what in the world? You know? And then I watched. I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, it was a, it was a crazy race. It was it was almost. Um, it was almost Hockenheim-esque in the craziness level. It was. Um, so let's unpack the craziness in um, in reverse order from the finish. Um, so coming to the line... Okay, this is very much reverse order from the finish. Coming to the line, final lap, coming out of Yunshao Corner, up the hill in high-altitude, high-ish altitude circuit... Honda engine versus Mercedes power plant. There's only one winner there, surely. Honda. That's what obviously. I would assume too. <laughs> and it was the Honda engine. And I am so happy for Pierre for that. I me he, too. I feel like after all the shit he got from uh, Red Bull and and he's done so good with uh, Toro Rosso this year. I agree. And and, and honestly, like. You can't really say that Alex Albon's done any better in Red Bull. In my opinion, he's done worse, and he's getting a free pass, uh, and I don't know why. Um, and so for him to come and get second place and be able to outdrag Lewis to the line was absolutely awesome. So, yeah, a, li yeah, a little word on the, on the Red Bull driver situation. I know we've discussed it an awful lot this season with respect to what Red Bull need in a second driver. Uh, Albon has been confirmed as second driver for next year. Um, whether he finishes the season in that seat, I think uh, no one's going to take that bet, having seen previous form. Well, I'll take a bet. There's no chance he'll finish the season. <laughs> yeah. There's no chance. Big words. Big words there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Fawcett? I don't know. With Red Bull, you it's just impossible to tell. How, yeah. How about this? Let's talk about this in a minute. Let's finish with... Uh, Brazil first. Okay, um, back, back to the race. So, reverse order. Drag race up the hill. Just before that, Albon versus Hamilton. Yeah, uh, Albon, um, you know, was in a great spot to finish well and just took the widest line. Like, he was trying to get a late apex run, but that's not a corner to do it on, and just left a VIP entrance for Lewis Hamilton to, to jump in there. And Lewis took the opportunity and jumped in. And there was contact. Albon had to wait for the field to go by. And um, and that was that. So I, I was interested to see Lewis being so magnanimous after the race. He, in the interview, like he just fessed up, yep, my fault completely. I don't think it was, honestly. I, I don't think, think it was either. I'm not sure you can place I, fault entirely on one person. But, I mean, if I'm Lewis and I see him go that wide, 
there was a gap. There was a gap yeah, to drive I don't into think, there. I don't think he Now, he was Lewis late. Was it, was a, it was a marginal move. Yeah. But, but I don't think you can blame him for sticking his nose lap. in there. Especially, like, that late in like, the race, too. I mean, it wasn't I like... don't see a single F1 driver not making that same move. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I think it was a little bit of an experience there from Albon. He, I like, mean, Albon kind of just took the corner as if there was no one behind him. Like, I'm going to try and get the best run here onto this little straight, and then he just... Yeah, and he's not used to running up at that end of the field yeah, with, with drivers like Lewis behind him. This is first season F1. Like, he made a silly mistake, and he'll be absolutely gutted about it. But I don't think he'll do it again. No, I think, and I, I think those are the um, kind of things you learn from, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, next time. And that was yeah, it was a shame. I think a Red Bull one two would have been would have been great to see. Um, Albon's not gonna. He's not gonna podium yet, has he? No, nope. he has not. Yeah, that's um, the, that's the part that stings. And it, it so, could have been and that could have helped him, particularly could have helped him going into next season to have that pressure relieved in twenty nineteen. Yeah, to um, prove yes, so I can finish on the podium. Hamilton got a penalty for that five second, right? Yep. And because of the safety car, the pack was so tight that dropped him off. He finished seventh overall. Yep, Carlos Sainz got a podium. The Turbo first Carlos podium for uh, McLaren in since what 2014? Yeah, 2014, I believe. What was the yeah. stat like over a thousand days or something ridiculous? Like it's been a long <laughs> time. Yeah, it was 2014. Was the last one. Yeah, um, the picture of him hugging that trophy was such a wholesome, cute photo of him. I mean, he like <laughs> you could tell there was not a man in the world that could have ripped that from him. That was his trophy, and, yeah. and no one was taking it. And I'm I'm pleased for him. I think he's driven so beautifully this season. Um, I agree. He's I come into a seat that's not have. easy. I mean, yeah, Lando's been good, um, but Carlos has been in a weird situation where he's come into. He's not that experienced still, right? What was this? His fourth season in Formula One? Um, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. He's coming, and he's being asked to come in as the lead driver to McLaren, which is a team, you know, regardless of their of their troubles that they've had in, in the last few seasons, is a team with a lot of history, with a desire to win, and with a history of winning. And he's been coming to a team that's down on its luck and been asked to lead it as a fairly inexperienced driver and he's done it so well like that speaks testament to his character and ability to a phenomenal degree in my respect in my opinion yeah I, and I, I like that they shared the, the the celebration I think Lando was up there on the on the podium afterwards and the fact that yeah it seemed it was a McLaren win it, like it was yes it was Carlos and and he was the one that finished right. third but it was a McLaren win they were just like I think I I just remember seeing on Twitter a picture of like the whole team on the on the podium and everyone there was just ecstatic like mclaren's back on the podium you know we've gone through this tough time with with you know some terrible cars and some bad luck with the engines and all that and we're here we're on the podium things are moving in the right direction yeah i i'm very pleased for them and and for the whole for both drivers like Fingers crossed they can get that momentum into next year because it would be great to have a team getting a little bit closer to the top three, even with the current regs. When are they switching? Um, They're switching to Mercedes, aren't they? Yep. Is that next year or 2021? That's next year. Next year. Okay. Um, Which is exciting. That's awesome. That's an iconic duo coming back. Do you think they'll bring the, uh, the silver and black back or do you think they'll stay with the papaya? 
Well, the silver and black that was that was more when Mercedes were a, had an ownership stake in the team rather than just a supplier. Was that West colors or was that? The team no, colors? it was. So, West was still a brand of Marlborough, oh, okay. which they had with the red and white. Um, so but it was it was a, it was the Mercedes choice to go to the silver, um, in '97 because of the. Yeah. They were taking an ownership stake in the team, and because of the heritage, obviously, of the Silver Arrows from the 50s and earlier. Yeah. Um, well, regardless. So now Mercedes have their own works team. They're the Silver Arrows now, so I don't think they, they McLaren will go will go back to that. They'll stick with the orange. But I'm excited that uh, they'll yeah. have this new engine and obviously a car that they can build on. Yeah, very exciting. So moving into next race, everything has already been decided. Mercedes has won. Hamilton's got his championship wrapped up. Yeah. Um, what can happen is, I mean, Ferrari's locked in second, Red Bull's locked in third, McLaren's locked in fourth. What can happen, though, is Red Bull Light could actually finish fifth in the championship if they have another good run. They're eight points behind Renault right now, yep. and they just had a huge points haul. So, man, if they could finish fifth, I don't think anyone could realistically say they expected that. No, not with a Honda engine coming into the start of the year. Um, yeah, especially considering their performance last year with the Honda. So that would be tremendous, um, and testament to the design and the the skill of that team. And I think ultimately testament to the Honda engine, because neither of those cars have been slow this year in no, the power yeah, they, circuits. They, they have improved drastically. Uh, I'm I'm very impressed and. This is what we. This is what we expected. This is what I expected from Honda. This is what they do, as a manufacturer, as a team, as an organization, is they come into a new project, and they spend, call it three or four years, figuring things out, and then they figure it out and they work at it methodically, and suddenly they're right up there. It's what happened in the sixties when they came into Formula One. Uh, with John Surtees and and that gang, they took they were they were a joke at first. The car was too heavy, the car was too slow, the engine was too complicated. This massive Honda V12 hanging out the back of the car, and then they won a couple of races, and they were right up there contending by '67. A couple of years after they entered, same thing happened in the '80s when they came back as an engine supplier. They started off with a small team uh, called Spirit, I believe, Spirit Honda, um, as sort of like a an adventure, um, and the car was really slow. The engine was underperforming, it was slow. They went to Williams, again, slow, weren't winning races. Three or four years later, suddenly Williams Honda is the class of the field. Honda then goes to McLaren, and they win the next four years of championships. This is how they operate, and if the same thing happens with Red Bull, I think they could be a real force next year. Possibly. They have the best driver. They have a fantastic aero package, and they always have. So if Honda... I still think Honda is not up there. Um, meaning, no, not yet. Yeah, but they don't. Keep, all they have keep, to do is break even. If they can break even, they have a real chance. And then, right now they have a chance at a handful of races, and so they're not far away. So, I mean, part of me hates them because they screwed over McLaren so bad. But the other part of me wants them to succeed because I want 
a semi-level playing field. And so, yeah, they're close. They're really, really close. And I think, you know, another winter of development, and they can be there. They've improved by a certain set amount each each off-season since Thanks. they came back to the McLaren. And Thanks, uh, Mercedes. We appreciate it. <laughs> and that's why I kind of think they get a little bit too much credit. I mean, they had to have... The FIA told Mercedes, and Mercedes complied. Mercedes had to teach them how to build an engine. And this isn't three or four years. They started development in 2013. We're finishing 2019. Um, and they're still third or fourth best engine. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of rose-tinted glasses. They have the best driver, and they're still struggling to get a win or two here or there. So I don't think it's that good of news, but they are getting up there. Um, and, and yeah, they, their future could be bright if they continue progressing. It's trending in the right way, I think. And hopefully Absolutely. they continue that, that up momentum. Um, speaking of momentum, uh, Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> yeah. So the final event from Brazil I want to talk about is the big one. Um, what the hell is he doing? Uh, I don't know, man. That's, Begin. Uh, <laughs> Go. See, it's such a heavy topic because we've been talking about it for like a week in our group chat, and it's just like a big thing. But it's a whole big thing. But I still think you shouldn't do that. I still think Seb's at fault. I mean, I don't understand why you would move over on your teammate down the street when you have drs open the pass is going to be made here easily it's a teammate so you know theoretically he's not going to race you as hard as he might race someone else it's still kind of earlier in the race uh, that's just an ins- it's 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 similar to me to ricardo and to verstappen at, at baku a few years ago it just it shouldn't happen like it just shouldn't happen i agree um, now, you can argue the racing minutiae about squeezing drivers offline is accepted racing practice, and, you know, it is to a certain extent, that's what people do, but I think also there's a bigger picture here of it's your teammate that you felt threatened by for the, for the past season in the final stages of a race where the team is on definitely for one podium, maybe for two, because they have the tyres at the right time. And it just didn't work. You can't do that. He's yeah, an idiot. Yeah. He's an idiot. <laughs> and we've seen this before with Seb as well. He's not the most secure driver when wheel-to-wheel with another car. He will try to gain an advantage by any means possible, and he'll make misjudgments with the placement of his car. Yeah. I think Seb is a fantastic time trialer i think he's really good at over the course of a race like managing it and i think fantastic fantastic autocross driver right well i just think Mm -hmm. that's why he's been successful right like he you know when he was in the red bull that was dominant it was very you know german and methodical and and you know working through and he had a car designed around him and his driving style well yeah that too but uh, you know i think that wheel to wheel is not his strongest suit but hitting your teammate on the straight is like, <laughs> I don't know. And, and it's not like you can argue that, that that Charles moved at all. Like, it's very clear in the video that he just was driving straight. Uh, I don't, Seb hit him, I don't I know. Mean, 
Yeah, I mean, Charlie even made a little little move to the left. Yeah. Like, he, he started to give him room as Seb came over, but Seb moved fairly late and fairly suddenly in a straight line. I don't think that it's really reasonable to expect Charles to No, that to wasn't suddenly. That. that was... He did a straight line. Seb did a straight line from corner apex where he's on the white line to the squeeze. That It wasn't a sudden move. It was a deliberate, slow squeeze... And Charles did move a little bit, but at the same time, he's saying that I'm going to hold my line, hell or high water, and hell came and ended both their races. But no, that wasn't a quick move. That was a, a multi-hundred-meter move in the mm. making that Charles just decided to stand his ground. Yeah. Do you think he should have done? Yeah, you, yeah, I think so, because he wants to be the head guy at Ferrari. He wants to be number one, and so he's got to say... And, and this goes for Seb, too. I think they... This sounds stupid. I think they both made the right call. Seb said, <laughs> I'm going doesn't. to dictate to you what's going to happen. And you have to react to me or crash. And Leclerc stood his ground and said, I will not be pushed around. Period. And so literally, in my opinion, um, they both did the right thing. It, it, and I, it sounds stupid, right? They wrecked and it caused issue. But as a driver fighting to be the best in a team that wants to win a championship that systematically picks one person to support, they both have to stand their ground. Yeah. So you're saying psychologically they both did what they needed to do for themselves. Absolutely. I'm yeah. not saying it's good for the sport. Or, well, it is, or, I mean, good for yeah, it's Ferrari. Great for the sport. <laughs> yeah. But just for the team dynamic and you're standing in the team, that's what I feel like is uh, they both did the right thing. No, I agree. I think Seb obviously has been realizing this season that his position as lead driver is very much in question and I think the young guy is coming in and he's strong and he's fast and uh, you know I agree I think they're both grasping for that lead driver position and you know you hear Charles and you you see your teammate coming over and you maybe you make a stand you say no I'm not going to get out of your way and, and but I mean, so I think I think that this incident as well. This isn't isolated. It wasn't. It, it wasn't about just that moment. Yeah. I think there's some history I of the season agree. that caught up to everyone at that point, and like, Charles made that big statement at Monza, in my opinion, with the Q3 incident, where he didn't agree to toes Heb around at the right time, and you know, did he impact that or not? Probably. Was that a conscious decision he made? Yeah, I think it was. It was stamping his authority on the team. And he took the win. Came back to Singapore. Seb got a little bit of a lucky strategy call. Was that Ferrari maybe redressing the balance a little bit? Seb got the win. On to Sochi. And, again, more shenanigans. Seb got the call to let him pass. And he didn't. He refused. He said this is payback from Monza. Yeah. And there's there's such an interesting psychological dynamic now because start of the season, Seb was the number one driver at Ferrari, and yeah, we absolutely. saw that at Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Like he was given the call, Charles, do not overtake Seb, hold position, and he did. And then he realised actually, no, I can beat this guy. Yeah. And we saw it in round round three, uh, Bahrain, where he, he can had beat this the guy. win and obviously didn't get it. And he and he and he was told to hold station behind Seb and thought, nah, I can pass him. And did, and drove away from him. Yeah. 
And in China, when uh, the order was to let Seb pass, and Charles said if he catches me, he can have the position. Right. Kind of implying, like, you know, he's not faster than me. He can't catch me. Yeah. I also think in the in the Brazil incident, you can't overanalyze it. And <laughs> I think it's easy to just go into all the, the politics and the drama. But you could also just look at it. I mean, it's a very quick thing that happened. You know, it happened in the split of a se- split seconds. You know, it was just like that. And yeah, I mean, maybe you're Charles and you just go, surely he's not going to keep coming, right? Oh, he did. And then you're both out of the race and that's it. You know, so maybe it, it was, was also kind of a freak incident in general, right? Well, like, yeah, I that mean, that wasn't a huge heavy touch. It wasn't a big shunt. Like it wasn't like they came. It was just kind of they hit in the weirdest possible spot. It just damaged both cars and they're both out. I mean. It's possible they could have, you know, touched and nothing happened, or one of them gets a right. puncture and the other one's fine. But it was just like somehow both cars were heavily damaged, and it, yeah. The biggest negative has to be for Ferrari because they have what four or five months to figure this out and have it solved. Right. Um, so that that was going to be my next question: is if you're um, Bernotto, Matteo Bernotto, how do you deal with the situation in a managerial capacity? In my opinion, you get rid of Vettel. Um, I was going to wow. say fire one. Yeah, or the other. But realistically, I think uh, you got to support one or the other. You're going to support the old guy that's kind of in the twilight of his career. Not twilight, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, he's not the young guy that's moving forward anymore. Or are you going with this young superstar that's proved that he can hang with anyone? So that's a fairly drastic suggestion. Um, so I think I think Ferrari get a lot of value from Sebastian Vettel driving for them both commercially in terms of brand and the fact that he's still a competitive racing driver Ferrari have the luxury of having two very fast guys in their car they're not in a situation with Red Bull where you have a clear number one they're not in a situation at McLaren uh, sorry not McLaren, Mercedes uh, where you have an established hierarchy in a, in a, in a long-serving teammate. So that's a big gamble to throw that competitive advantage away when you could deal with it internally and try and arrange things to be more smooth in the next season. I think you're right, but it's it's so hard to just assume that you can make these you can kind of whitewash these problems, right? and get one of them to be the passive guy in that situation. And I don't think Ferrari is going to have the opportunity to be able to afford these double DNFs and still win a championship. So it's a risk for them, sure, but it's it's a risk either way. If they don't solve this completely, and it might not rear its head till midseason, then one incident leads to two, which leads to three, then what do you do? So, I don't know. I think keeping both drivers and not having something hashed out in a written way is extraordinarily dangerous to Ferrari's F1 title chances for next year. You know what they do? Maybe so. They trade Seb for Kimi. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, no, no. No? No, no, no. So, that was going to be my, 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 my next question. Like, okay, playing this hypothetical sort of what-if game. 
if Seb is asked to leave Ferrari and they pay the $30 million that he's required severance of the final year of his contract, whatever, who goes to Ferrari? Who do they have? Because there aren't that many options out there at this point of the season. Mick Schumacher. Nope. Science <laughs> is happy at McLaren. He's found a home there. He's leading the team. Would he really go to Ferrari? Do have to Rick? buy him out of the contract for a lot of money? No, you don't. Danny Danny Rick wants a championship too bad. He's going to fight Charles the whole way. Danny Rick's too much of a liability. He'd be. You saw yeah. what happened with him and Vettel. It would be the same thing. Like you need a reliable number two. It's the same. It's the same Red Bull debate we've been having all season as to what do you want a number two driver. Do you even want to have a number two driver? If you do, what do you want in him? Yeah, I, I don't think it's. I don't think getting rid of Vettel's the right idea. I think it's just the easiest way to solve the issue of the clear number one or two. It was. I, I don't think. Yeah, it would solve the immediate issue, but the upshot might create a new one. That's yeah. my, That's my issue with it. Um, well, it's hard if you're Seb to say, I've been here for a few years and now I've been the lead driver and now all of a sudden I'm number two and I'm expected to hold station and just, you know, not fight for it. It's a difficult position for Seb to be in. But then when you're, you know, when you're Charles, you can't, I mean, you're a young guy, you've got a fast car, you want to go out there and win races and championships. So it's, I understand the situation and how it is the way it is, but how you solve it i'm glad i don't get paid to do that yeah so mercedes we agreed has good choices going forward for next year ferraris and a little bit of murky waters going back to red bull yes we kind of touched yes, on we, we agreed to come back to this <laughs> yeah so do you guys think having alex in the car next year is a good choice i do personally and i'll tell you why um Firstly, he's been more impressive than Gasly in disagree. the races that he's done. Um, he's Hard been closer disagree. to he's been closer to Max in qualifying on average. Disagree. He has statistically he, he has he's been closer to Max by time average each qualifying session than Gasly was by what half a tenth at most by by a tenth. It's not much, but it's it's a factor. It's a statistical input you can make to you can put to a decision. Secondly, his racecraft has been pretty impressive for a rookie. Thinking back to his first race for Red Bull at Spa, yes, car advantage, yes, back of the field, whatever. But he made some pretty assured moves through the field. He got he got progress made, and he finished where he was expected to by the team. The team expected him to finish sixth. He finished sixth. Now, has he done enough? to gain the seat of his own accord? That's the question that I think is still up, up in the air. Could someone have done better? We don't know. But I think he's been better than Gasly comparable to Max in each half of the season. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think he's quicker in qualifying. Um, he's barely faster than the McLaren still. Um, he's punting Gasly was being out-qualified by the McLaren occasionally. That is true, um, and a lot of that was, you know, incidents like uh, Austria where he jumped the curb and broke his front wing, and, you know, but back to Albon, he's has a prime position to get second place and throws it away, and... And that happens, that's, ex that's an experience, and we've seen mistakes 
by that mate. So why do we give him a pass, but not Pierre a pass? We gave Pierre a pass. We gave him the seat to begin the season. But my point is, is if you treat him the same, Alex Albon's seat has to be hot because we were... Gasly's seat was red hot from like week two on. And right now, the consensus for Alex Albon is, oh, you're barely faster than the McLarens, you're nowhere near the top five, but good job, man, we'll we'll sign you on for next year. I think... I think from Red Bull's perspective, they've seen him, they've seen the data, they they know how quick he is comparable to Gasly and comparable to Max, and, and he has, on average, been closer to Max than Gasly was. That's I'm, that's just, by, not by much, but I would like some. to see the data on it, because he, he's constantly getting out-qualified by the same margins, and so here here's where we're at. If you believe Max Verstappen is the best driver in Formula 1 by far then maybe you can convince me Alex Albon deserves that seat. If you think Max is even close to any other driver on the grid, then you can't argue that Alex deserves that seat. He hasn't performed well in Red Bull. He's still nine point, or he's still 11 points behind Gasly. Gasly has a podium in a Toro Rosso versus there's no podium for him in a Red Bull. Uh, it's been a poor year for him and Red Bull, and he's getting a free pass. And you, you bring up Spa; it took him 26 laps to pass his old or his um, to pass a Toro Rosso at Spa. I get that he finally got it done, and good for him. And he's a nice guy, but I don't get why he's getting a free pass for the same stuff that Pierre Gasly did, and people are so happy for him. I think it also comes down to the question: Okay, so if Albon doesn't get the drive. Pierre doesn't get the drive. Who does? That's a great point, and that's the only redeeming way that I can justify putting him in for next year. I just I feel like we're going to be in the same topic next year, saying he's underperforming. He's not a very good driver. Who do we find to replace it? And unless we just want to play revolving doors, which Maybe that's what Red Bull wants to do. They want to play revolving doors. They know that Alex Albon's not that good, but he's good enough for now. Um, I don't know. I think also given the fact that this is his first season in Formula 1, um, as opposed to Gasly, who has had a season in Toro Rosso before being called up to Red Bull, and the way that he's adapted to driving the Red Bull car, which is acknowledged to be a difficult car to drive on the limit. Max is used to it. It's been in the same way that it was for Vettel when he was there. So it's sort of designed around Max's driving style and abilities. And Gasly, we saw, struggled to get to grips with that car in the first in the race in the first half of the season. Albon's come in, and for whatever reason, I don't have the data in front of me, but Red Bull have seen something in their data. That indicates that he's better equipped to get to grips with the idiosyncrasies of this car. And that's what's convincing to make the decision. As well as the fact that there isn't anyone lined up ready and willing to jump into the seat. Like, you can't put Kvyat back into that seat. Because he's been outclassed by both Albon and Gasly this season. You can't put Gasly back into the seat after the way he was treated this season. It's too soon, it's too raw. Maybe you switch them back middle of next season, depending on how it goes. But there's no one else ready to jump into that seat that could do a better job than Albon at this point. That 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 has proved they can be close at this point. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. I, I just feel like it's another stopgap solution where we're going to be discussing this next year. We are, and it's which would be great because it gives us something to talk about. That is true. That is true. <laughs> I just think whoever, um, whoever you put in that seat, it doesn't matter. It's it's kind of a moot point. They're always going to be overshadowed by Max. So, which, bring, which brings us yeah. back to the central point of, of, of our last, seems like the last three or four episodes we've discussed, what do Red Bull need in a second driver? And I've told you all, it's Brendan Hartley. Bring back I Brendan. Just, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> I do, I do. God, no. Please, no. <laughs> I think you it's just want to see Skater Boy. Stop resisting, Cuffin. <laughs> no. Can we at least, like, go full? Like, if Max is going to just super carry Red Bull to third, can we just get some pay driver that's terrible? The, the oh, new Pedro no, is No. Um, uh, Grosjean. Let's have him in there. Oh, That God. would be perfect. No. Yes. No. No. He, he would wreck the field. Oh, man. No, Grosjean. I mean, I know we're joking that Gasly and, and the other one are... Not as good as Max, but that was the other one. <laughs> Albon, Alex Albon. I just forgot his name. Alex Albon, but that would be like a disaster. Like a, it's a, that's a, a, good a weapon in a fast car. That's like, ugh. He causes enough havoc from the house. Uh, no thanks. Which, by the way, how the hell did he get a seat for the next season? Uh, good question. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't know how Gunther Center looks at his performance over the last two years and goes, yeah, let's hire him again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, Especially after watching the Netflix like special and seeing what he had to say about him. <laughs> Which is going to be an excellent this season, by the oh, way. Oh, God, I, I can't wait for it this wait. time. I am so um, excited. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I hope they got all the juicy bits. Uh, I have no idea how Grosjean still has a seat, frankly. Um, but, I mean, he's going to keep keep us entertained, that's for sure. I think Haas has got to be my biggest surprise of the year. Um, biggest not disappointment, certainly. Yeah. I, I, Awful. Yeah, I fully expected them with the upgrades that Ferrari was bringing and just as a new program, getting more and more time behind him that, man this was a prime year for them to be where McLaren is. And instead, I agree. They are yep. closer to Williams than they are to eighth place. Yeah, for sure. It's massively disappointing. I think that fundamentally they had just an issue with their car design. Didn't work with the Pirelli tires and they've paid the price for it. It's been bad. And I hope they can come back because formula one needs a tight field, needs a close field, needs a good midfield. Grosjean has eight points. Yeah, but, I mean, he had zero points until France or something. Yeah. Like, I, he's, I don't know, well, you know my thoughts upon him. I think he's lost the plot completely. Um, it, but he's talented he enough it to get a random good it? finish, too. What was that? He was. Has he lost it, or has he ever had it? He had it. He had it in the Renault days. Like, yeah. he was up there. He, he showed promise. What was I, and now what, I think he's very terrible. I think on his day, he can be very fast. Yeah, but, but those days are coming further and further <laughs> apart. Yeah, his day is like 1 in 365. Now, it used to be more frequent. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm between happy he's him in the and, field just so I can laugh at him and his laugh on antics. He's like a I wild mean, he's card. always going to be consistently entertaining with a crash at some point. But that's not what Haas need. 
It's what we need. It's not what Haas needs. Yeah, for entertainment's Agreed. sake, keep him in there, man. Put him in the Mercedes. Like, I don't care, but for Haas's sake, ugh. you know, they don't have anyone better? No. No, they don't. <laughs> Apparently not. But it does make me fear, and this is making wild assumptions, and I'm really good at that, um, that Haas doesn't really have a full directive. If they're keeping on the these struggling drivers, and I think K-Mag's a great driver, um, and so I'm not blaming him, mm. but they're, for mid-pack great, I think he's mm. just fine. But point being, they've come out and said that they should have trusted their drivers and the way that they wanted the car to be built and this and that. It just makes me feel like they don't really know what they're doing. Well, they're Americans. Well, yeah, good um, point. Hey, you know. Consistently not really knowing what they're doing in Formula 1. Dan Gurney aside. But uh, Americans are typically soul. good at not knowing what they're doing. You know, they do it well, <laughs> and they have no clue what they're doing. But they do it confidently, and that's yeah. the important thing. Um, now, if Haas were more of a Ferrari junior team, and they're getting to that point, put Vettel in the Haas. Put Grosjean in the Ferrari. Oh, oh dear God. <laughs> yes! What a combination that could be. Oh, man. I mean, there would be FIA investigations the same millisecond <laughs> that was announced. Because you know Haas would be getting all sorts of parts direct from Ferrari. Of course. Um, oh, man, I love it. Well, That's those are legal fuel systems. Favorite make-believe conspiracy theory yet. I love it. Well, let's... let's Keep our fingers crossed that uh, Santa brings us a gift for that, Christmas. That would solve Ferrari's problems. They wouldn't have to worry about a struggle for who's the number one driver. It wouldn't be a struggle for superiority at Ferrari, that's for sure. <laughs> Plus, they're both French. Everything would be fine. <laughs> um, so, final racing season in Abu Dhabi coming up. Um, Lewis de Rosance, the uh, round out the season with a win. Yeah, Mercedes won too. Easy. Some big words. Yeah. Do you yeah, think Ferrari are going to be impacted by this uh, investigation to their fuel system? Uh, I don't know. This late in the season. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal because everything's locked in place. It's kind of a, Ferrari needs to kind of push the limit, I feel like, because if they run it now, and there's already been lots of people asking for clarification, and the FIA, it was just reported today, took a Ferrari fuel system and a yep. separate one you know that bodes them well for next year if it's cleared I mean um, mm -hmm. and so I think it's really good for Ferrari to run it and risk it because either they have There's a nothing to lose moving forward and they don't yeah they have nothing to lose if you know they get um, disqualified from this race so yeah I think it's good for them and they need to push the boundaries and see what happens well I think I think the final few races of the season have, if anything else, they've they've promised us a decent competitive view for the off season and for for the next year. So fingers crossed that uh, teams can continue doing so. So, uh, uh, just a really quick question. For yeah. When they first announced Abu Dhabi being the last race of the year, mm. I was against it for a long time. I um, still am. Let me explain why I'm not against it anymore. Go on. They are pretty much everything's decided at this point. And I'm glad that everything's decided at a track that I don't care about. 
compared to when everything wasn't or sorry when brazil was the last race a year and everything's already wrapped up and i know it's not like that all the time but like i kind of just don't care about this race so you're you're saying the only reason that abu dhabi is good as the season finale is that the season's often finished before it correct and it makes brazil <laughs> a little bit more important on some aspect i don't know I, like i just feel like this whole race is a wash and i mean let me take you back famously to 20, 2010 at abu dhabi when Fernando Alonso could have won the world championship for Ferrari at Abu Dhabi, got stuck behind Vitaly Preptrov in the Renault for 30 laps and finished seventh and allowed Vettel to win the title. In, I totally That's agree why Abu Dhabi that. should not be deciding any championships and not be in a position where it could potentially decide any championships. I, I agree. I, I know. I'm just... I'm happy that the race is normally wrapped up at a place I don't care about. That's kind of... But yeah. if we... On the, on the flip side, if we want Formula 1 to be more competitive, the chances of the, the decider coming down to the final race are, are that much greater. So and then let's flex it. If it's a close championship, Brazil's last. <laughs> and if we don't care, and it's like whatever, then Abu Dhabi can you imagine, can just can you imagine if the FIA really, really, really ran things that way? Yeah. I, yeah, let's put... This, I don't know. Let's give uh, Ross a couple beers and talk him into it. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get that set up. Cool. That'll be our uh, season finale. We'll be Jeez. drunk beers with Ross Braun. <laughs> oh dear. Alright guys, well I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Paddock Pass. Uh, we've certainly talked a lot of uh, interesting nonsense. things. A lot of nonsense. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's incontrovertible. Um, but uh, I think it remains to be seen. We're looking forward to, well, not looking forward to it that much. Final race of the season, Abu Dhabi. And we will, of course, bring you the wrap-up from the Formula 1 season once it's concluded. And uh, look forward to hearing from them. But until then, uh, I've been Tom Allison. With me has been Andrew Fawcett. Goodbye. Hello? Sorry, I didn't press the push-to-talk button. Goodbye. <laughs> almost, almost a flawless podcast. And almost. Then... <laughs> almost. It would be huge, as unless we messed things up at the final minute. And uh, Alex Coffin has been with us as well. Peace. And in the production booth, Michael Derby, making sure that we all run smoothly and don't talk too much nonsense. Until next time, see you later. <laughs>